Hey, thanks for joining me again with the uh, Wild Wild West show. Hey, so I wrote this commentary on Genesis 6. It's the story of the Noah's Flood. And I went verse by verse. I gave my opinions. I gave some facts, some scientific facts about Noah's um, dimensions of the ark, stuff like that. Uh, different things that I think is going on within the story. I think that you would enjoy it. And um, so pretty much what I did is there's a readable copy on the website, Jesus Alone Saves. But right after this recording of me talking, there will be a like a bot or a, a, uh, a recording. You know, one of those bot recorders. That they're gonna, the computer will read it. It's gonna sound like a real human. It's not, it's just a computer. But I think it will be effective. I hope it blesses you, and I hope that you have a great day. God bless you. And um, also, if you'd like to support this podcast financially, you can. I know that the screen pops up for you. By doing that, you just enable me to be able to continue to bring out more faith-based content to not only you but to people around the world and I can spend less time driving Uber and more time actually making content like this so thank you in advance for that God bless you Noah Deeper Part 1 Genesis 6 1-8-1 When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them. Comment, there is nothing wrong with this. God gave people a command to multiply and be fruitful in all the world back in Genesis 1-3. It's a mandate given by God to have a lot of babies and spread out. 2 The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. And they took as their wives any they chose. Comment, right here is where the confusion comes into play. No one is sure what this is saying. Some believe the sons of God are demonic beings, maybe angels that were on earth to act as God's ministers to mankind, those outside the faith like in Central America believe that the gods came down from the heavens and slept with human women and their babies became the giants. The giants being their babies comes from verse 4 when it talks about the Nephilim. The Nephilim are believed to be these giants. As I am looking at these verses, I personally believe that angels, either fallen angels that we call demons or angels sent by God to minister to people on earth. These angels were here in the appearance of people, but they weren't people. When they slept with human women, they effectively changed the DNA structure of people that God created, which He made mankind in His image and His likeness and now mankind and these angels called sons of God effectively created a new type of person in their own image and likeness, removing God from His throne placing themselves on the throne, by making themselves Creator God. By doing that, you now are sinning against God in such a way that God is mad enough to destroy everything and start over. There is nothing wrong with getting married. There is nothing wrong with having babies and multiplying and filling the earth. God wants and commanded us to do that. What is wrong would be removing God from His throne and placing yourself on the throne of God. That's where everything went wrong and when punishment came and sin was at fullness. Assuming my theory is correct and that mankind and these fallen angels came together and changed the DNA of people and created their own type of human in their own image and likeness, then we can understand more clearly what Jesus meant when He said, 37 For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. 38 For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, 
39 And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Matthew 24 37-39. When I read that verse, I always wondered what Jesus meant. All these things He listed are good things, things that are gifts from God, but Jesus speaks of them in a way that isn't good. The first issue is that they were unaware. People are going to be so focused with their personal lives in the last days and they aren't even going to notice that the end is just around the corner. I also think that we might be seeing a prophecy about human DNA restructuring. We will see people once again trying to play creator. People in the last days will be messing around with the human DNA structure and try to change it in a way that is suited for them. Sort of like in the days of Noah. Today technology exists that allows you to change the color of your baby's eyes before they're born or even have a baby with a robot. The Fertility Institute is where parents will turn to in order to change their baby's eyes before birth. I do not recommend doing this. God created each one of us and chose the color of our eyes for a reason. We should not be messing around with the DNA design and creating something in us or in others that was never meant to be. Once again, you are removing God from His throne and placing yourself on His throne. You are not the creator or designer. He is alone the creator and the designer. 3 Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his days shall be 120 years. Comment Theory 1, this 120 years could be that God is giving Noah 120 years to build the ark or slash and theory 2, people on earth will die younger and younger and there will come a day when people won't make it to 120 years old. I never personally heard a person make a claim on theory 2. It's possible that God was talking about both theories because I never met anyone or heard of anyone that was able to live past 120 years. After the flood people started dying earlier and earlier. Theory 2 is my own personal theory. It's believed that God meant that He was giving Noah 120 years to build the ark. Which makes complete sense, because this ark was massive and it was just him and his family building it. Most likely him and his three sons. So four people building an ark. For the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Comment, a verse like this is easy to just read by and not really look more into. Why would the author write that the Nephilim were on earth in those days? Who cares who was on earth, a lot of different people groups were on earth, so why pinpoint the Nephilim? It's believed that the Nephilim are the race of giants. So the author wanted the reader to know that these giants were on the earth in those days. It says also afterwards. I'm thinking about how Noah and his family repopulated the earth. It was Noah and his wife, his three sons, and their wives. I'm thinking outside the box. We know in the future the giants are going to be in the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan ends up being the land we know today as Israel. In Numbers 13 28-29, we see that the spies bring back reports that everything God said was true about the land He promised Abraham. One issue was that the descendants of Anak are living there. See this part of the Bible doesn't seem to make sense. I thought God destroyed everyone on earth and the family of Noah was left with two of each kind of animal. How did the giants survive? Theory 1 the sons of God came back to the earth and recreated the giants. Theory 2, Ham, the son of Noah and also the father of Canaan, his wife was somehow related to the race of giants that were on the earth in those days, she had their DNA. Maybe she was the daughter of a giant, just a theory. So when Ham had Canaan with his wife, he effectively recreated the race of giants. In Genesis 9:22, we see Ham disrespect his own father Noah, so it is possible that Ham was the black sheep of the family. Maybe this son didn't exactly follow all the rules and do what is right. Maybe his salvation was due to his father's faithfulness. Ham was saved because he was Noah's son. It's an idea. 
A little background into these giants. During the flood period, the giants are called the Nephilim and later in history the giants are called the descendants of Anak. In the future when you're reading the Bible, you might come across the Anak family again, and then you can associate them with the race of giants. So knowing useless stuff like that can help you connect the dots in the future readings of the Bible. I don't know from the top of my head any reference, but I will point this out in future Bible studies if I come across the family line Anak. I encourage you to pin this in your own studies. When reading the Bible look for weird stuff like this, ask yourself weird questions. You will begin to come up with ideas and theories that maybe no one else has come up with. Maybe Ham got married to the daughter of a giant. The Bible isn't clear though, but it's an idea and theory to explore as you study the Bible and stuff like this might make you even more interested in reading the Bible. This is exactly why I read the Bible all the time. Weird stuff that no one looks at or notices are all over the Bible. Thinking outside the box, like maybe his wife has the DNA of giants? Doing this should make you more interested in reading the Bible and if it makes you confused and lost, great. Get lost in the Word of God. 5 The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Comment, this verse sort of speaks for its own self. In Hebrew, this verse is worded differently. It says, every intent of the thoughts of his heart altogether evil all the time. This shows that the sinfulness of mankind has reached its max and now God is going to do something about it and we know that it's the flood that God uses as punishment for sin. See God didn't just say, though the world has sin in it, I'm going to destroy it. It has had sin in it for a long time, since the time of Adam and Eve. God is in patience and kindness not only waits until the time of Noah to destroy the world and to bring punishment on mankind for sin, but even when sin was at the max, He allows Noah 120 years to build the ark, to warn his friends, family, co-workers and everyone on earth to repent, to turn back to God, to get on the boat. It's not God's fault that no one on earth listened to Noah, God gave plenty of time and patience and that makes his punishment justified. 6 And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Comment, this is an interesting verse. It shows the heart of God. It shows how God has feelings just like me and you. Maybe, it really shows how we were made with feelings just like God. We were made in God's own likeness and image. God wants us to understand hurt. Hurt is seen too often as the result of sin, and I have to disagree, I think hurt is a result of being made in the likeness and image of God. I've regretted a lot of things in life. I regret eating way too much fast food weeks before my military fitness test. I'm going to pay for that. I also regret not focusing on school more when I was younger, because now I'm older and sometimes I find grammar mistakes in my writings. I regret a lot of things. I never regretted creating the human race, I can't even understand this fully. I can try to though. We were made in the image and likeness of God. Think about that. Sin is not God's image or likeness. The fact that God regretted and grieved because people sin so much, shows that mankind is God's most prized possession. Where was God when two planes hit the World Trade Center and killed around 3,000 people? Where was God when a bomb exploded and killed countless lives during a terrorist attack? Where was God when a 25-year-old went missing for weeks and they find her dead in the deserts of Arizona and her boyfriend is suspected of murdering her and he is missing because he is running from the law? Where was God when stage 4 cancer takes the life of a little child? Where was God in the pain and the suffering? The simple answer is that God is grieving with us. God Himself is also crying His eyes out in heaven. He looks on the earth and He wants to deal with sin. He wants to rid the creation of evil, pain, and suffering. The issue though is where should He draw the line? Where should he draw the line at murder? Stealing? Lying? Jealousy? If we want God to get rid of the sin that brings pain and suffering, 
that would include you and me. We are all sinners. From the evilest people like Hitler to a stillborn baby. We all have this thing called sin in our lives. So if you want the pain and suffering to end and sin to be over, you have to account for yourself. God in His kindness, patience, and love made a way during the time of Noah. The ark was the symbol of salvation. Just get on the ark. Listen to the crazy preacher Noah and be saved. A time of judgment is coming. A way of salvation is being provided. You can't say God is unjust, unfair or evil when He gave a warning of a coming judgment and He provided a way of salvation. 7 So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. 8 But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Comment, judgment is coming. You and I will not stop God from doing exactly what He said He would do. In the future, at the second coming of Jesus, all the nations of the world will actually be unified for the first time in human history. They will come together and try to remove God from His throne. I'd rather just find favor in the eyes of the Lord. It worked for Noah and I'm sure it's going to work for me. But, how do you find favor in the eyes of the Lord? We will explore deeper into this question in the next coming verses, but for now, leave a comment in the comment box below if this is the blog or somewhere in this book write down your answer to that question. When we explore deeper in part 2, you can look at your answer and compare the answer the Bible gives and the answer you have. Noah, Deeper, Part 2 9 These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Comment, it's easy to read a verse like this and think, see this is Mr. Perfect. This is a righteous person and that is why God chose him. We seem to get this idea that God chooses the best of mankind to fulfill his purpose. That is a corrupted view of how God uses people. Noah is said to be a righteous man, but one problem, the Bible says in Romans 3:10 that no one is righteous not one, so does the Bible contradict itself? No, it doesn't. The word righteous can be used in many different forms and ways. It's like the word judge or love. The Greek and Hebrew text uses words that go deeper than the English could ever go. Anytime you see the word righteous and it's related to an individual person, this word is being used as right with God. So verse 9 above is really saying, Noah was right with God, it then goes forward to clarify that he was blameless not before God, but before his own generation. So Noah essentially is an imperfect person that would be blameless before God, but he was different in that even though he was not blameless before God, due to his sin separating him from God, he walked with God and didn't follow the ways of the world around him and this act made him different and made him blameless in his generation. He was the only one following God in his own generation. Zoom into the Hebrew. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one alive is righteous before you. Psalms 143 2. In this verse is righteous shows up in the Hebrew as one word you stack. In this form of the Hebrew word righteous within this verse's own context, it means being justified by acquittal. This word acquittal means that you or someone else are found not guilty or the debt has been discharged or settled, according to dictionary.com. To properly understand this, we have to understand what is our debt that we owe. The debt that we owe is the debt of sinning against a sinless God. Now, when we look at the verse Genesis 6-9 that says Noah was a righteous man, this word righteous in Hebrew shows up as Siddiq. In this form of the word righteous, it's speaking in general. Noah was doing the right thing. It's not saying that he was perfect, but it's saying he knew what way God wanted him to walk in and he chose to walk in that way. A Jewish audience would hear these words that Noah was Siddiq and they would naturally understand that Noah was not perfect and his debt wasn't paid for by his own hands or good deeds, but that he saw and knew that God had another way to live by and he chose that way and by choosing that way it made him Siddiq in the eyes of God. 
If you think God doesn't notice you walking with Him, He notices you. He saw Noah among the sinful generation and He sees you also. So about this debt we owe, how do we pay for this debt? We don't have a way, but God does, He provided Noah with instructions to build a boat, which would save him and his family from a flood and He provides us in the 21st century with instructions called the Bible, but we are not building a boat, but a relationship with God. A personal relationship with God through Jesus. Not through the Virgin Mary, or one of the Apostles, but we have access directly to God through Jesus. Why and how? When Jesus died on the cross, our debt died too, by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Colossians 2 14. Ten and Nino had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Comment, we aren't told much about Noah's three sons, but we are given a story about them in Genesis 9 18-29, this is when Ham and his descendants get cursed because of Ham's act of dishonor towards his father. Looking at the order of the names, it's possible to assume that Shem was the oldest and Japheth was the youngest. A lot of times you see that the orders of names in Scripture are not by accident, but are showing who was born first. This is only assuming. This would make sense Japheth, older brothers tend to be leaders, so in the Genesis 9 18-29 story, Shem most likely was leading his little brother Japheth to cover their father and then Shem being the middle child is just laughing about it. According to psychology in the area of siblings order, the firstborn child gets more privileges and the lastborn receives the most affection. The middle child seems to get left out. So it's very possible that Ham was left out of his father's loving privileges and affections and could have driven him down a path that tries to receive those things by doing bad things in life. So Ham's behavior could be a reflection of who Noah was as a father. This is all just assuming that the order of these names are all listed from oldest to youngest and that psychology is correct about the sibling order theory. Genesis 10 gives more information about the genealogy of Noah's three sons. This chapter is listed in the same order in 10 to 1 as in 610, but it begins with Jebeth's descendants being listed, then Ham's descendants, and then Shem's descendants. Why? There could be a lot of reasons why. Maybe it's going by who started having kids first. Or maybe the author wanted to make the first last and last first. Maybe the author wanted to make sure that Ham was in the middle no matter what order the names were in. Maybe he only had enough ink to write the names for Japheth and not for Shem. This is what I love about studying the Bible, the idea behind why this and the Bible got written the way they did, just blows my mind. It's truly a mystery sometimes reading the Bible. This makes reading the Bible fun. 11 Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. Comment, the word corrupt in the Hebrew what tis essay hat. This Hebrew word shows up only once. Yes, the word corrupt shows up multiple times, but this actual word shows up only right here, according to Bible Hub. The word means and was corrupt. If you go to the understanding of the root of this word, it would have the meaning, perhaps to go to ruin, the root is also part of speech for a verb, so it's doing something. What is doing something? Creation? Earth? Mankind? All creation, pinpointing mankind, is going faster and faster and becoming more corrupt. That's what I see in Hebrew, what do you see? Write down your ideas in a notebook. Something else I see, makes me think of the 21st century. Everywhere we look nowadays, people are dying in the streets, unrest, and protests that turn into mobs. We even have people in our governments that are there to serve us, turning their backs on us and selling us out to our enemies. It does look a whole lot like the days of Noah, just like Jesus said, that the days before Jesus' return, the earth will look like the days of Noah. Do you think our times look a lot like the days of Noah? If so, what are you doing to get ready? Just write down your answer in your notebook. 12 And God saw the earth, 
and behold it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Comment, it was corrupt as nishata, had corrupted as it. Both of these words come from the same root word. Verse 11 comes from the same root word too. So all three forms of this word corrupt have the same root word. Sometimes you might come across words that don't have the same root word, so it's good to check. So we know the root word has this idea of something being or becoming ruin. The first word for corrupt just ties into being corrupt, but this next word goes a little deeper and has the meaning of something being perverted. Like good being called evil and evil being called good? Sounds like the prophecies of the last days, but remember Jesus said the last days will be like the days of Noah. Maybe it is possible that Paul knew scripture and God helped him connect the dots. Maybe, Paul heard that Jesus said that the last days will be like the days of Noah, and Paul, being a student of religious studies, connected the dots with the days of Noah and the end times. Would that still be considered divine intervention? Is God too small or too big to just allow us to use His written word to connect dots? I'm just speaking my thoughts, not saying this is what happened. 13 And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Comment, if God is so good, then why doesn't He end all evil? This question is a famous question atheists ask to disprove a good God. They also will read this story of Noah and ask, if God is so loving and kind, why did He destroy the whole earth? Not only does God in His justice come and destroy evil on the earth at the time of Noah, but in His loving and kindness, God tells Noah exactly what He plans to do and provides Noah with the plan of salvation. God gives a plan of bringing justice for sin and evil, but also provides a plan for salvation and forgiveness of the sin and evil we committed against God. Atheists are a lot like Adam. Adam back in the garden pointed the finger right back at God for the sin that Adam committed. Atheists try hard to take the story of Noah and make God like injustice and evil for destroying the world. Is it though, is it injustice for a holy God to bring a perfect punishment against an unholy people? Assuming cops follow the law, is it unfair for a police officer to give a ticket to a driver who is speeding down the highway or through a school zone? No, it's not. If you break earthly laws, you get earthly punishments, but if you break spiritual laws, you get supernatural, the flood, or spiritual, hell, punishment. 14 Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. Comment, what is a gopher tree? In short, no one knows. The meaning of this word is lost. Some scholars believe it could be a cypress tree because they are strong and long-lasting. Cypress wood was used in Judea for the most substantial elite structures like the Temple and Solomon's Palace. Adam Clark's commentary says, supposing the Greek word kupirasov, cypress, was formed from the Hebrew letters gpr, gopher, take away the termination asov, and then gopher and kupar will have a near resemblance. It's a healthy debated topic in the church and interesting to look into, but if scholars are unsure, that's a good sign to agree that this tree no longer exists. Maybe God destroyed this tree during the flood. You know how easier it would have been to be like, hey Noah just make a big box. God tells Noah to make rooms in the ark. This shows that God is not unaware of the needs of each living creature on earth, both people and animals. He wants to make sure that each creature has their own comfortable space on the ark. It's so easy for us to read past this and not think about it. God cares for the physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional well-being of each person and even each animal on earth. What is pitch? In Hebrew, we see that word. It means covering or to cover over, pronounced as kafir and kafar. In the story of Noah's flood, we can be safe to assume that pitch was an actual substance used on the actual Arkansas. The best example I can think of is construction workers using primer on wood to help keep the wood from breaking. 
it helps the durability and provides additional protection for the material. I'm guessing, the pitch was something similar to primer and it helped provide durability and protection to the ark. The regular Hebrew word for pitch is atonement. Leviticus 17:11 For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Essentially the ark, the flood, the pitch, and the rest of Noah's story are all a foreshadowing of one day a man named Jesus would step on the earth, live a life that was honoring to God, just like Noah did. Jesus would be lifted up on a different ark we call the cross. By Jesus dying on the cross, all mankind now has a way to find forgiveness, to receive atonement from God, atonement to escape the coming flood of a future judgment that the Bible speaks of. In Noah's day, God saved His people using an ark. In our day, for the last 2,000 years, Christians have been coming to the cross. Just like Noah and his family found atonement on the ark from the flood, we can find atonement at the cross from a future judgment. 15 This is how you are to make it, the length of the ark 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. 16 Make a roof for the ark, and finish it to a cubit above, and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. Comment, according to the Ark Encounter website, Noah's ark was about 510 feet long, more than 50 feet tall, and they stated, the ark had the same storage capacity as about 450 standard semi-trailers. A standard livestock trailer holds about 250 sheep, so the ark had the capacity to hold at least 120,000 sheep. 17 For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. 18 That I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Comment, everything shall die. Is God injustice? Who gave us the breath of life in the first place? Was it not God who gave us life? God takes what is good because we have rejected everything good. We in our sinful nature have rebelled against God and said, God we don't want you. God is fine with that, but because we have rejected Him, we ultimately reject what He gives us, that is the breath of life. God isn't uncaring though. He understands that not everyone is going to reject Him in His ways. One man, Noah followed God, believed in and lived for God. God sets up a covenant with Noah. This is called the Noah Covenant, God promised Noah that He will never destroy the world by water ever again. God places a rainbow in the sky after the flood as a sign of the covenant with Noah and also as a reminder of the promise. It's easy to skip verse 18, it says that Noah, his wife, his sons, and his sons' wives are going to be on the ark. Did the Bible ever say that his wife, his sons, and his sons' wives were all righteous and blameless and walked with God during those days? No. It's possible that people who didn't fear God and thought Noah was out of his mind, that they entered the ark, only because the world needed to be repopulated after the flood. This is where I get the theory that Ham was married to a daughter of a giant because later the land of Canaan is full of giants. This is where DNA plays into the entire storyline. I also assume Ham didn't fear God. He was only saved from the flood out of grace and the fact that his dad was Noah. So does that mean we can place our trust in someone else's salvation? No. A lot of things in the Bible are one-time one-only events. When we stand before God on Judgment Day, we cannot tell God, my dad, my sister, or my mother are believers, let me in. We each must make a personal individual choice if we will follow God or not. Ham was saved from an earthly type of judgment, jump on the boat, but was he ultimately saved from a spiritual judgment? Based on the story and the path he takes in life, Ham didn't seem to fear God, not even after the flood. 19 And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. 
20 of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground, according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. 21 Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. 22 Noah did this, he did all that God commanded him. Comment, where are the sea creatures at? Not on the ark, they're fine, I'm sure of it. Do you think creatures that can live in the water were on the ark? I am guessing, based on common sense, that the animals on the ark were baby land creatures. So instead of a huge elephant, a baby elephant. Instead of a dangerous lion, maybe little cubs. Down to having food, God gives no instructions. God doesn't miss a thing. Make rooms, make three decks, don't forget food, make sure you store it. Most likely Noah's generation knew about how to make food last a long time. An incredible mission was given to Noah, and he does everything God commanded him to do. God isn't asking us to build an ark and save all the life on earth. If he asked me to do that, I don't know if we would be here today. Noah must have been a builder. His trade skills must have been a carpenter, like Jesus. This is interesting, Noah has been given this skill set to build stuff and God calls him to use that skill set to build something called an ark. What skill set has God given you? I know a girl that knows how to ride and train horses, and train people to ride horses, she operates a Christian-based ranch. I know, while actually, I don't know anyone else that uses their skill sets to serve God. I sat here thinking, who else do I know as an example and I can't think of anyone. I know pastors and ministers that use their skill sets to serve God, but I don't know anyone who uses their finances to serve God, maybe Dave Ramsey? What about you and me, are we using the skills God has given us to serve Him? Who knows, maybe if you do, a great mission is on the other side.